Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, why is Ireland so obsessed with Garth Brooks? Well, he's back, Garth Brooks returned to Ireland this week, and he's finally got what he always wanted, five concerts at Croke Park. There were hundreds of thousands of achy breaky hearts back in 2014, when Garth cancelled his five planned concerts following opposition from local residents. The saga was labelled an embarrassment, and even then Taoiseach Enda Kenny weighed in, describing it as a shock to the system and the reputation of the country. But the American country music singer decided all was forgiven last year, announcing that his final stadium tour would come to Ireland. And his popularity hasn't waned, as all five nights rapidly sold out. Well, as the concerts approached, we found ourselves asking, how did Ireland become so obsessed with Garth Brooks? Here to chat everything Garth is the Journal's political correspondent, Christina Finn, who's taken off her politics hat today and replaced it with a Stetson. I'm also joined by RTE's arts and culture journalist, Alan Corr, who has met the man himself a few times. You're both very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Christina, I'll start with you. Take us all the way back to 2014. What happened when Garth Brooks tried to play what became five gigs in Croke Park? If you cast your minds back, it was in June 2014 when all the controversy erupted, really, when Garth Brooks announced that he was going to be playing in Croke Park. Now, all seemed well until, you know, it, it soon became clear that Garth Brooks wanted to play five concerts in Croke Park. There's always been a bit of an issue about, you know, large scale stadium gigs um, in that area with Crow Park and the residents not being too happy, I suppose, about the disruption that it brings. But ultimately, what came down to was Dublin City Council refusing to grant the license for all of the gigs. And eventually, Garth Brooks said he wouldn't play any of them and pulled out of all five gigs. And it affected a huge amount of ticket holders. 400,000 people had bought tickets to these cons. It was going to be a huge spectacle in the capital. And for a country music singer to pull out and cancel all those gigs, it was really, it was a saga that became known as Garthgate for that very reason. It kind of enveloped and took over the country somewhat that year. It involved so many different aspects. And it even, as you mentioned, entered into the political Uh, sphere with the number of politicians getting involved. Yeah, it's interesting to see politicians getting involved in something that is is more of a a sort of a pop culture issue. So who got involved there? Who intervened? Yeah, it really did become a political issue. Uh, Surprisingly, you had everyone sort of had an opinion on it. You know, when you look back, as you mentioned, the Taoiseach and Kenny at the time, when the concerts were eventually cancelled, As you mentioned, he said it was a great disappointment for the country, a huge shock for the system and for the reputation of the country. And at the same time, also, we had the arts minister, Jimmy Dean, at the time. He called it a saga and he said that some new process basically had to be developed so that Ireland didn't find itself in that position. Even Micheál Martin, um, he was in opposition at the time. Now, now Taoiseach, and he's finding himself, I suppose, probably very happily that there hasn't been the same controversy around these gigs. But at the time, he even said in the doll that he wanted to look at maybe emergency legislation to change the planning laws so that the gigs could go ahead back in 2014. And this involved uh, one of his own TDs, Timmy Dooley, who spoke out quite a lot about the controversy basically saying that planning laws had to be changed so that Dublin City Council would be able to give the green light for those five gigs. You know, and at the time, a lot of people were saying that the cancellation of those five concerts back in 2014 um, was a huge loss 
to the capital at the time. If you if you remember, you know, we were kind of still in the middle of recession at the time. The country was kind of just, you know, somehow finding its feet again. And Timmy Dooley at the time said that the concerts would have been an injection of positivity into the capital. You know, so a lot of people perhaps would say, you know, that the challenges and, and things that we're facing at the moment, that the concerts are maybe perhaps a welcome distraction. But we did also have other politicians, uh, unusually the uh, Mexican ambassador here at the time in 2014, said he would you know, act as a mediator even between the promoters and Dublin City Council at the time. So like it just involved a huge amount of people trying to, I think, get it over the line. But ultimately, Garth Brooks at the time said that he wanted all or nothing. And if he couldn't put on the five gigs, that he didn't want to, to do any of them, because ultimately it would have involved him having to cancel tickets for two of the other concerts that he had already uh, sold for. And that obviously would involve him, you know, choosing a couple of hundred thousand people that were going to have to miss out. So he decided that that was it. If he wasn't going to be able to get it over the line with Dublin City Council, then he wasn't going to come over at all. And it was, as you've already said, a big blow for the fans. I know you were a fan of Garth yourself. What was the overall reaction? Was there any kind of a backlash against the man himself or was it more aimed at, I suppose, the system? I think, yeah, there was a huge amount of upset from from the fans, of course, firstly, but I think as well at the whole system because ultimately the focus then turned after 2014 at how we could prevent such a saga from occurring again. And there were regulations and and changes to the system put in place to ensure that there was a lot more, I, I think, planning and foresight about how we were going to get these gigs over the line next time and a lot more consultation with residents about, I, I suppose, the, the disruption that they would face having such large crowds in their area for these concerts. So I think, you know, it did ultimately result in better changes to the system. But obviously, it was the fans that lost out at the time. Alan, I want to bring you in here. This is a good time to go back a bit again to the 90s because the Croke Park gigs wouldn't have been Garth's first visit to Ireland. Can you tell us about his first concerts here? Yeah, I mean, his first shows here, I think, were a five-night stand in the Point, which is now the Three Arena, in 1994. Now, what it, what surprised me about uh, Garth's first gigs here way back nearly 30 years ago was how long it took him to get to Ireland because the first time I would have seen him live was in a theatre in London, I think in late 1990 on the No Fences tour. And I met him afterwards for an interview when I was working for the RTE Guide. And I found him to be a very genuine, uh, you know, grounded individual who was already uh, somewhat of a superstar in America. His first album had sold 10 million copies. That was a self-titled first album. And No Fences was heading up the charts as well. He was about to do the crossover into the pop and rock charts. So after I saw him play live and after I interviewed him, I said, why hasn't this guy come to Ireland yet? He's going to be huge over here considering our natural affinity with country music and our love of country music in this country. So when he did arrive here in 1994, it was for five nights in the point. Uh, He sold them out in very quick order and uh, he began to do uh, the press issues appearing on the Late Late Show and Kenny Live and things like that. So he was already at that point heading to uh, huge stardom in Ireland. The next time he would have played was, I think, two nights in Croker in 1997. 
And I remember going to that gig and he arrived on stage from a giant hydraulic spaceship. This huge dark gray spaceship kind of came down onto the stage and Gart walked out. And I remember at the, at the time, uh, christening him Gart Vader uh, because of the way he had made such a, a brilliant invasion of the, the, the Irish country scene and indeed the, the mainstream charts. So Gart Brooks was, was made for Ireland and Ireland was made for, for Gart Brooks. So those gigs immediately introduce you to Gart Brooks, the showman. And that's essentially what he is. He's a, a consummate showman who has made that crossover between the traditional values and kind of performances uh, that, that are usually associated with country music to a rock extravaganza. I mean, one of his biggest influences, Kiss, the American uh, 70s glam rock band. He's also a huge fan of Billy Joel. He's covered Billy Joel's song, Shameless. So he has that connection with the rock, the rock extravaganza, as well as the usual, more traditional uh, country music side of things. So when he came to Ireland in 94, he was already massive. And he obviously is a brilliant performer, but I'm wondering, is there something in particular that has made Irish people love him so much? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that he arrived in Ireland at just the right time because by the mid 90s, by 94, the show band scene had essentially died off, sadly enough. Uh, the show band scene did a lot of slagging, but uh, I think it was a very, very important time, time in Ireland uh, when they were in the pre-rock and roll era of, of Ireland. Because let's not forget, well, before the 70s, no big acts came to Ireland. I mean, if, if you look back at the 60s and the, the early 70s, bands didn't come here. I mean, you had kind of, uh, I suppose, uh, the crooners would come here. You'd have certain big acts coming here and, and playing, uh, you know, places like the Adelphi. The Beatles, of course, played here in 64. So before, you know, rock and roll arrived in the country, show bands were very important. So by the time that was going, uh, line dancing was also becoming a craze in Ireland in the, in the mid-90s, as, as uh, Colin Farrell will tell you. Uh, so Garrett's arrival was, was very good timing. And as, of course, there is that kind of natural empathy the Irish have with country music. Of course, we have our own uh, country and Irish genre here, a much sneered upon genre, unfairly, I think, a lot of the time. So Gart was was perfect for that. And, you know, he had, he had a, a real a genuine love for the place. So there's always been that interest in country music in Ireland for historical and social reasons, as well as just uh, musical ones. So we like him because... He sings about things that are important to the Irish. He sings, you know, about family-based uh, values. He's got a homespun philosophy that a lot of people find attractive, despite the cynicism that you might associate with, uh, you know, some some Irish people. So I think that, you know, he, he was tailor-made for this country. Uh, and we'll see that over, what, the next couple of weeks or the next five gigs in Croker, that he loves us and apparently we love him. And I ask this now as a city gal who, full disclosure, is not a huge Garth fan. Is there a rural-urban divide in terms of Brooks fandom? Oh, very much so. Absolutely. Uh, I think there always has been. I mean, in any country, there is always going to be a, a, a rural-urban divide. And it seems very pronounced in Ireland. And I remember back in, in 2014, there was much wailing and gnashing of tweets uh, when those five shows were cancelled. And I think the country was divided between two kinds of people. There was one half who were devastated that the concerts weren't happening, and there was the other half who were secretly delighted. So I think 
that you'll often find that kind of rural uh, cultural divide. The, the battlefields are often drawn over cultural issues like music and, you know, certain other cultural tastes. So the somewhat sneery attitude uh, from dubs like me uh, about Brooks, you know, has, is still going on now. And there was much talk uh, over this weekend on Friday and Saturday night about kind of from Dublin people giving out about the stonewash, the stonewash uh, double denim pink cowboy hat wearing hordes from west of the Red Cow Roundabout invading the sacred turf of, uh, of Crow Park. It's also instructive to look at the makeup of the Garth Brooks fans for these shows. Out of the 400,000 tickets uh, that are sold, at least 5% of the ticket holders are, are coming from outside Ireland. Coming to, uh, according to Aiken Promotions, a Crow Park gig would usually attract 40 or to 50% of patrons from the greater Dublin area. For the Garth Brooks concerts, it's around 15%. So that's kind of instructive in itself that out of the whole 400,000 tickets being sold, only 15% of those people come from Dublin. So there's going to be a huge representation from every single county in, in, in the country, all 32 counties, and I, but the least of them appears to be uh, Dublin, where most people live. So how has Garth's music evolved then over the years? Because he's released quite a lot of albums, hasn't he? Yes, he has. He's actually released 15 albums in total. But you'd have to be a fairly dedicated fan to name his most recent albums uh, for the record. Uh, they were Fun, an album titled Fun in 2020, and Gunslinger in 2016 which I'd never heard of before, to tell you the truth. Now, his self-titled debut album was released as far back as 1989, and it sold 10 million copies, and it features two of his best-known songs, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old and If Tomorrow Never Comes. Uh, I mentioned No Fences, which is a very good album, but that arrived in 1990 and featured The Thunder Rolls and Friends in Low Places, which is pretty much his anthem. Uh, that sold 18 million uh, copies in the US alone and uh, has become the biggest selling country album of all time and it, of course was his first international hit. Now I really like those first two albums because to me they are they're pure country. They're like George Strait. Uh, they're like George Jones. These are albums he made before he embraced that kind of glitz, honky-tonk, rhinestone, uh, showman uh, man, uh, character that he is now. Uh, which is which is absolutely fine, but it's it's worth noting that after that huge initial success, the following albums like Roping the Wind, In Pieces, The Chase, and Fresh Horses, which I think was released in 1995, were missing something very vital, and that was hits. He the hits started drying up because he's made this point. Garth Brooks has made this point many times himself. Uh, the more country acts there are, and after Garth Brooks' success, there were indeed a lot of more country acts. The less songs there are because the songwriters are the most in-demand people in Nashville. Now, Garth's famous, he's not famous as a writer, like Elvis, Elvis didn't write his own songs. Garth is a co-writer, he does need a prop to help him along. So when, when those songwriters aren't available, it's hard to find the, the song. So basically, you know, he's, he's kind of drifted off into making Christmas albums, he did a live album, I think, back in 2010. His sales have kind of, you know, not been as big as they used to. Then again, nobody's sales are as big as they used to be. So it seems to me that after the huge success of the first two albums, there was a slight tail off uh, in, in his album sales. But in terms of his evolution, it's interesting to look at his, his, his evolution from a more pure, straight down the line, George Strait, George Jones type country singer 
into the realm of that arena country rocker with influences like Billy Joel and Kiss, where the whole thing is an extravaganza. So it's it's a very interesting career trajectory in terms of how he's evolved as a singer and a musician. And I know, Alan, that you've interviewed him a few times over the years. So what's he like as a person? And I'm wondering as well, what does he think of us, the Irish? <laughs> very easy to interview. Uh, I always think that, you know, when you're interviewing someone, like, there's a good deal of acting involved from the interviewee. They, they're keen to sell uh, what they're flogging. They, they want to get the publicity out there and their, their message out there. I found him very disarming. Uh, his answers often come in a rush of hus- hushed reverence and perhaps over sincerity, the kind of over sincerity that, that the Irish slag the Americans off about as, as we take their lovely greenbacks. And it's, it's hard not to be cynical. And I was much, I was so much younger then. Uh, when I interviewed him, I was in my, I was about 21, 22. And of course, I was very cynical about this kind of open faced, open hearted, open handed American country guy coming over. You know, he prefaced each answer with, thank you for asking me that, sir, sir. you know. So he had that Southern gentleman thing. Uh, he had the manners and etiquette of Elvis Presley. Uh, very well-mannered guy. Uh, the first time I met him backstage at that gig in London back in 91, he was genuine, a genuine guy. He was about, let me think, he would have been about 29, 30 years old. He was 60 this year. So over the, you know, the succeeding years, I interviewed him, I think, five or six times in total when he was at the height of his fame. Uh, Some of those were phone interviews. There was a a memorable phone interview I did with him for the No Horse or the the Fresh Horses album in 1991, where he was on a satellite phone. uh, He was sitting on his horse in his ranch in Texas, herding cattle. I could hear the cattle mooing in the background. His guard kind of was answering the questions. There was another time I did an interview with him, which had to be delayed for a full day because he had a very unfortunate accident uh, down in his ranch in Texas. Uh, other, other times I've met him face to face, always very cooperative, always very giving when, with, with his time. When you interview a lot of you know, film stars and, and movie stars, you can always tell if they're into it, if they're passionate about what they're doing, and if they're really interested in, in, in talking to you. And, and Garrett, whether he's acting or not, and let's remember, this guy has a degree in advertising. He did sell himself brilliantly, very cooperative, willing to talk for as long as you wanted, and very curious about the person who's into you. He'd ask you questions about yourself, and that never, that very rarely happens. So, uh, yeah, a lovely bloke, actually. And he obviously has a huge fan base in Ireland, but does he know about the slaggings and the cynicism towards him that you spoke about, and what does he make of it? I think he's slightly hurt by it, to be fair. But then again, you could be cynical and say when you've got $400 million in the bank, who cares? It's like uh, 800 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Uh, The same goes for Garrett Brooks. I have asked him numerous times about kind of how people in Nashville, the home uh, music city, how how they wouldn't approve of him uh, because he's such a, a rhinestone cowboy, you know, compared to some of the more what they might consider real country. But that's, that to me is nonsense. I mean, country music has always had a, a commercial edge to it, certainly since the 1970s. And some of the best country music, certainly the country music I like comes from the 1970s. So I think Gart is, is in that tradition. So in terms of, you know, being slagged off and criticised, it hurts. It, it, he's, he said to me, at least, that it, it does hurt. But 
you know, all you have to do is look at it to, to 80,000 people in Crow Park over the over the five nights he's playing over the next 10 days and realize that these are the people who love him. Critics are, are one thing and they serve, they serve a function, but he seems genuinely hurt by it. Uh, but he says he's just there to, you know, do his best, entertain the crowd as best he, best he can. And it does occasionally get to him that uh, he is criticized for not being real country because I would regard him as real country, certainly a, a very commercial honky-tonk style of country. He, he's hurt, but I think that he accepts that's part of what he does. Christina, I want to bring you back in here. Take us forward to 2021. Garth Brooks announced plans again for gigs in Croke Park. How differently did that announcement go? Yeah, so over the last number of years, ever since 2014, there have always been rumours that Garth Brooks is going to make a return. I was looking over articles, um, you know, you had ones in 2015, 2016, and, you know, people looking into his Facebook lives that he often does and trying to read into any sort of messaging that he might be somewhat planning a return to Ireland. So in 2021, there were rumblings, obviously, that this was going to be the case. So I think a lot of people maybe took things with a pinch of salt, but it was announced then, I think it was breaking news at the time in September, that that the three gigs initially had been approved by Dublin City Council. So I think everyone was, you know, all the fans were, were pretty ecstatic that actually this was going to come about. The announcement seemed to go off well. But yes, there were concerns that, OK, initially we only have the three gigs. Was that going to be enough for Garth Brooks? Would he be pushing for the extra two nights. So I think there was a bit of trepidation perhaps about what we might be entering into. Was this going to be Garth Gate 2? Um, you know, but at the time, I think as well, you know, we were dealing with the pandemic and all the after effects of that and how we were coming out of it. So, you know, I think the, the news was largely welcome that there was going to be, you know, some positivity coming. But I think there was a lot of perhaps fear that, oh God, I hope this is actually not going to turn into the spectacle that it was all those years ago. And three gigs weren't enough for Garth uh, because it's five now, but they are split across 10 days. So has that been enough to keep the kind of opposition we saw last time at bay? And what was the local reaction? Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, there'd be, he did eventually get the five nights. Um, you know, he seemed pretty ecstatic about that at the press conference there a couple of months ago that I was at, you know, saying that this was his return home. And, and I totally agree with what you're saying there about what comes across perhaps as over uh, emotion and, and, you know, something that I think a lot of Irish people perhaps find uncomfortable that he does speak very much about this being his his homecoming, his return to his people and, and all the rest of so the five nights will be taking place on the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, and then a few uh, days break and then the, the 16th and 17th. It does seem to be enough, I think, for the Crow Park residents. I think it's really interesting that, that there actually hasn't been that much pushback, I don't think. Uh, you know, initially when the uh, licenses were granted, you know, there was a bit of, um, you know, vox popping of the local residents. Um, I think majority of them perhaps were just like, OK, fine, you know, let's just get on with it. But at the same time, there was a bit of controversy because we also had Ed Sheeran uh, perform concerts there this year. So actually the number of shows for Crow Park is actually a lot higher than the usual, um, you know, three gigs that's usually granted by the GA headquarters. But I think Crow Park residents have been consulted widely, I think, 
on the whole issue of the stadium being used, how it's going to be managed. They have gotten reassurance, the Residents Association, that even though the increased number of concerts are taking place this year, that this perhaps won't be repeated again in the future. I think at the time, a lot of it was talking about COVID and perhaps, you know, the knock-on impact of not having any concerts or, you know, stadium events over the last two years that perhaps there was somewhat of a backlog. So it does seem to be enough, I think, for the Crow Park residents that this is being handled a bit a bit better. And I think since 2014 as well, lessons that that famous quote, lessons have been learned about how to actually get things over the line and how to actually bring people along with you rather than, you know, surprising them with 400,000 people at your doorstep over a short period of time. So I, I think the reaction seems to have been fine. Let's just get on with it. Um, as long as you, you know, look after us, I think was was the word um, used by a couple of residents. So I think as much as possible, work is being done to ensure that they're happy enough with the disruption that they're going to face over the next uh, week or so. Alan, I want to ask you about the upcoming gigs. What do we know about them? Is there anything new or big planned? Can we expect any surprises? Well, considering these croaker gigs are the Hill 16 on which Garth Brooks was willing to die, you can bet your bottom dollar uh, he'll be going full out for these shows. When the shows were initially cancelled and there was talk of them possibly being put back on again, he said, I will fly, I will beg, crawl on on my knees to, to play Ireland. So this genuinely means a hell of a lot to him. Now we're told by Aiken Promotions, uh, the Jim Clark, the event controller at Aiken Promotions, that the stage has been uh, designed specifically for these Irish concerts and it's been assembled by specialists from the US. Promoters, uh, Aiken have also said that uh, the concerts in Ireland uh, will be an extravaganza and they reached for the superlatives when they, and the hyperbole when they said this could be the biggest music cultural event in Irish history. Uh, give me a break, lads. Uh, but at the media briefing last Monday, Aiken, you know, has said all, all the equipment has been flown in directly from America. It's it, These shows will be a one-off as, as part of his, of his current tour. So he's really going to pull out all the stops for Ireland. Uh, considering his his love for the place, it's it's worth noting that at his press conference back in 2014 to announce the shows, he said that he had 50 or 60 Irish flags in his house back in America. So you know he's found his his heart home here. Uh, I think he will be putting on the huge extravaganza. You can expect uh, that kind of uh, rock showmanship I talked about earlier on, uh, and he's probably going to do something very special and very specific for our Irish audiences. There are no support acts for for these gigs, but who says there won't be uh, surprise guests? And I think that we should look out for those. I don't imagine he's short of a few, Bob, but what does a tour like this mean money-wise for Garth? (laughs) Well, nobody is going to give you a figure uh, of what he's been paid. That's strictly confidential. And after all, every fee is different for, for every act. And there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to payment for a big artist like like Garth Brooks. Now, what he's done himself, he's done his best over the years to keep his concert tickets low uh, since he began his career and keep his show value for money. Talk of price freezes is all the rage these days, as we know. Uh, And he put a a price freeze on these tickets, as far as I know. So the price is the same as it was in 2014. I could be be, be corrected on that. So it's 81 euro seated and 65 euro and 40 
five cent for standing. So he's worth a few bob. According to Forbes, he's worth 400 million. And according to the scholars, according to Variety magazine, his record sales are worth over 100 million every year, out of which he gets 45 million. He lives in a 30 million dollar house and his reported monthly salary is three million dollars. Now, if I was to do the sums on the back of a wet beer mat, uh, let's think 400,000 people at 81 euro and 65 euro a pop comes to just under 32 million or 31 million. So he'll be getting a very big chunk of that. I mean, put it this way. I don't think he'd be drinking beer from a plastic cup and eating a spice bag after these croaker shows. <laughs> and these croak park gigs, they're at the very end of his last stadium tour. Does that mean we won't see him back here again? Or do you think he will be back, but just not with something so big? Oh, I think he'll be back. Uh, I mean, the the, the the Croker gigs, I mean, the, the hill that he would die on, he said, he said the hill 16 he would die on, he said that not being able to play Croker was like a death in the family. Uh, now, he's a, he's, a, he's a man given to, you know, fairly dramatic sound bites, but I think it really did affect in these cancellations. I think he will be back uh, in much the same way that uh, Bruce Springsteen would be able to sell out Crow Park Maybe five nights in a row, who knows? You two certainly would be. So Max, after a big, huge tour, you know, like, like this, wants to go back into indoor arenas, want to play more stripped back, stripped down shows. I, I would easily put him in the points, the three arena rather, uh, for three, four nights in the coming years. I think that he wanted to just break the back of this Crow Park uh, debacle and do the shows and he will be back there's no doubt he will be back he's still six he's only 60 he's still touring he's still you know able to deliver so i'd be very very surprised if he doesn't come back again it's amazing to think that these shows will be his first shows in ireland since 1997 that's pretty extraordinary given how massive he is in this country he'll be back christina i want to finish with you because you are i think it's fair to say quite a big fan of garth brooks what is it going to mean to you to go to his gig after all these years of waiting and to be there for his final stadium tour? Yeah, like it's going to mean a lot, I think, because um, I was actually at the 1997 gig and this is probably where um, I suppose you could say that the love of Garth Brooks was sparked because at the time I was 13 and my mum was a big fan. She had a calendar of him hung up in the kitchen, um, I remember. So I was dragged along to the concert um, really because she had two tickets. And, you know, I was 13. I was a bit embarrassed going, God, I'm going to a country music star gig. You know what? I didn't know much about him. But as described there, his concerts are all about performance. And I remember being blown away by the spectacle of the stage you know, the crowd and the love that they had for him. And that was really where I think, you know, how I try and explain to people who say, why are you going to his gigs? It is all about the performance. You don't have to know every single song. You don't have to have followed every single album of his. It is all about the showmanship and just having a really, really great and positive night out. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm it has come at somewhat of a difficult time politically because the Fine Gael Thinking is actually on in Kilkenny on, on Friday. So I have to head down there and I'm hightailing it back um, as quickly as possible uh, from Kilkenny to head into Crow Park. So perhaps Fine Gael didn't think that, um, you know, scheduling their event was going to impact maybe their base as so much. Um, 
you know, Fianna Fáil perhaps uh, have a lot more fans of Garth Brooks and, and they've perhaps scheduled theirs a bit better. But no matter what, anyway, I'm going to I'm going to make it back. And I'm just really looking forward to it. I think it's a really positive thing that's going to be in Dublin. Yes, there's going to be a lot of begrudgers. But look, it's it's all about the positivity. It's going to be a great night. And I just think uh, if he comes back, I think he'd have the same popularity again. Now, you know that I'm obviously not a fan, but you very nearly got me on board with all that. So thanks to both of you for joining me to talk all things Garth today. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Christina and to Alan for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. Or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.